In the fall of 1990, at the very beginning of my seminary education at Lexington Theological Seminary in Lexington, Kentucky, which was a part of the educational system of the University of Kentucky, I was blessed to meet the Reverend Dr. Jan Lynn. There's a metaphor, a truth that I learned when I was playing sports. It simply said, the good players practice until they get it right. The great players practice until they can't get it wrong. The guest for my podcast is an example of one of the great ones in Christian ministry, in the practice of education, Christian education, and really in the practice of life. An example of Dr. Lynn's practice, until he can't get it wrong, are his many books that he has authored. Big Christianity, What Right with the Religious Left, The Jesus Connection, and even his last book, most recently, Unbinding Christianity, which speaks about choosing the values of Jesus over the beliefs of the church. It's a pleasure to welcome the Reverend Dr. Jan Lynn today. And I'm very appreciative for this opportunity to sit with my former professor, and one of my most most valued friends. Welcome to Dr. Lynn. Dan, thank you for being uh, being a part of the podcast uh, today. And uh, and as I was saying, but we weren't recording at the time that. Uh, just about everything that happens here at UCP, uh, it, it happens because of uh, our director of communications, Kate Hoeing. And uh, so even this podcast today, uh, it has the, the touch uh, from Kate. So Kate, thank you for being with us today. And um, did you wanna just, uh, before these two preachers start talking, to say uh, any, anything to the folks who may be joining our podcast? Uh, no, just thank you so much for the very kind introduction. Um, so sweet, and it's an honor to be with you and Dr. Lynn. And for some of you who are joining the, the richness of Kate and, and, and uh, my uh, conversation earlier was the game on uh, last Saturday. Uh, and uh, Kate, that was a game that was Clemson and North Carolina State. It was. Uh, and uh, someone won that game. Yes. Yeah, it was the Wolfpack of NC State. It was. It was the Wolfpack. Of NC State. It was, and I'm a very <laughs> sore loser, so you're going. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Ah, uh, 
So, uh, Jan, uh, we, we were uh, just uh, having fun about that um, just before we were able to uh, connect with each other on Zoom. And uh, there's uh, some, some things that I would just love for you to be able to um, share with the folks who will take the time to, uh, to listen to uh, this podcast. And one of the things that I really wanted uh, to just have at, at the beginning of our conversation was uh, uh, something that uh, you, you're not aware of any of the questions that I wanted to ask you. Uh, and so this is the first one, Jan. And uh, let's say that someday someone will write a biography of the life and ministry of the Reverend Dr. Jan Lynn. In that book is a chapter entitled, My Hunger and Thirst for Righteousness Led Me to Give Blank, and I Received Blank. Can you fill in the blanks for us and kind of explain what that chapter might look like? I will do that, but I, 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 before I do, uh, Marcus, then thank you for uh, inviting me to do this with you, is that um, unfortunately you and Kate didn't quite go far enough north to the University of Richmond when you went to school or you would not have had the conflict that you had last Saturday. Uh, and you would have enjoyed an immense education and experience, I can assure you. Um, that said, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, if the University of Richmond was a wonderful experience for me, and, um, and that's my, my background, uh, Marcus, it, it, they, it, my roots go back to, uh, Lynchburg, where I was born, and Rich University of Richmond, where I attended uh, school un as an undergraduate, um, and actually majored in English rather than, and speech communications. I was a double major instead of religion. It was only later that I went into ministry. Um, that's a tough question. I don't reflect a lot on what people might uh, think of a write about me when I'm gone, I hope it's not good, nice. I, I think if they um, write that I was a good person, um, maybe that's enough. I, I think I would say that the most important thing for me is that I believe if you have children, then raising children who believe that it's more important to give to life than to take from life that's about the best com contribution you can make to the world is to raise children who want to make it a better place. My um, uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness um, would, what was the second part that they would lead me to what? My hunger and thirst for righteousness led me to give blank and I received blank. Well, then I would put give children and receive great joy. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, you know, you give your life. Mm -hmm. If righteousness is right action, not um, a kind of goodness inwardly, but, but right actions, which is the biblical 
uh, meaning of righteousness, then when you give right actions, what you get in return is the sense that you have at least done what you believed was right, whatever the consequences. And throughout my life, I, I used to believe that if we, if we do what is right in the long run, we receive so much more than what we've given. Today, I would say, if you do what is right, you may not live long enough to receive the good that should come from that because our world is in such a mess. Yeah. And our nation is in such a mess that uh, you have to struggle to believe that goodness and truth uh, and doing what is right is going to are, are going to prevail. I still believe they will. But it's pretty tough right now to believe that when we see what we're seeing, not just from politicians, but from ordinary citizens Um, in, in our state yesterday. There was a fist fight in a school board meeting over wearing masks. Yeah. I mean, it, the absurdity of it all is very discouraging. Yeah. So, but you yeah. just keep doing what you think is right. That is righteousness. Is that you do it because it's right, not because of anything you receive from it. That's that's the challenge. Yeah. There were um, uh, some, some uh, really heated arguments. I don't know if it uh, became actual physical uh, blows, but for uh, the school board meetings here in Fairfax County and uh, a few other uh, areas uh, here in uh, the the capital area. Um, And I remember reading, uh, Jan, about there's, uh, you may have some awareness of it, the uh, epic, it had been uh, like a host for some of the extremists, uh, all of the kind of uh, um, kind of hate language and those kinds of things, and uh, it was recently they had a breach, and so it basically made uh, made public, made some awareness of just so many of these groups and uh, just what you were talking about uh, that their thoughts were what they were doing or are doing. Uh, is righteous, but um, it doesn't seem that way to me when you're talking about the kind of violence that we saw on January the 6th or the kind of violence that uh, we are seeing in so many places across the world. Uh, I, I think it was in, uh, in Australia uh, that uh, there were the kind of uh, physical exchanges and, 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 and blows that were happening. Uh, because of the uh, emphasis in trying to uh, shut down some of the places in order to better manage the, uh, the, the spread of the Delta variant. Some of what you're talking about, where it seems righteousness is so misconstrued. Well, you, we all learned, have learned in, in the Christian tradition that what people believed the fact that they believe it doesn't make it true. Yeah. That's one of the truly important uh, realities that humbles people, I think. Uh, we Christians have thought that because we believed something, it was true. 
just because we believed it. And of course, we believe all kinds of things that are not true. We're seeing that certainly in our political life today, but we see it in religion, we see it in education, we see it everywhere, which is why everybody needs to make sure that that what we believe is balanced by the best evidence that we can find and that we need to listen to other points of view when they make sense. Now, I'm not, I'm not an advocate for listening to points of view that are absurd. I, I'm, I'm, I, kinda, I often get criticized for saying that, but there are just some points of view not worth um, listening to. I remember one of the theologians of our time, um, I won't name him, but he's a rather uh, uh, provocative theologian, uh, especially in his heyday. And he used to say that he would tell his students who would insist that, that they wanted to make up their own minds about things. And he said, well, uh, you can make up your own mind when you have a mind worth making up. <laughs> And there's an element of truth to that. There he is. Uh, you know, there, there, there's also an element of being a four-year-old who wants to make up his or her own mind. And and a lot of adults today are on that part of the spectrum rather than having minds worth making up. And so we, 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 it, righteousness is not just what I think it is. There are some parameters some direction, some definition of that that makes sense. And when you go outside of that, you really have, uh, have to look at yourself. And so righteousness can be easily be self-righteousness, for example. Um, but the issue of righteousness is in scripture, the issue of justice. When you were talking about righteousness and you uh, just kind of brought to, into to, to me uh, a question about um, where the church has either succeeded or, or not succeeded in establishing uh, or giving leadership about those parameters of, of righteousness, what, what those are. Well, you're giving me a, an easy and perfect lead into my book. Well, that's what I was hoping to do, Jan, because uh, that's, that's one of my questions for you, is I wanted you to be able to talk about it. Um, and as a matter of fact, I have one of the quotes from your book, Jan, Unbinding Christianity. Uh, only one thing that should be considered essential for anyone wanting to be Christian. It is having a genuine and unequivocal desire to live your life the way Jesus lived his. This is what I think Jesus himself said when he called his disciples. He simply said, follow me. This is what living your life as Jesus lived his means, following the values he lived and taught. And I think that's what the focus is. It, it, the church has tried through the centuries to, to make itself believe that it was really calling people to a certain way of life, but it put all the focus on what they believed rather than actually the way of life that those beliefs were supposed to lead to. And, and the truth is that uh, beliefs are important, just not the way that we have thought they were, the way the church has taught, 
they were. And instead of promoting values that have united people, I think intentionally at times, but also unintentionally, the church has promoted beliefs and conformity of beliefs that never unites anybody. Uh, you don't you don't get people together on the same page by saying we all agree that we believe this and believe that. You get people together because they share common values. And I don't think the church has done a good job of teaching that. Uh, we got into uh, a creedal tradition of Christianity that is dominated. And, and, and misused creeds. Creeds were never intended to be tests of faith. They were statements of faith. And, and they became very quickly tests of faith. And that began the process of you're in if you believe this, you're out if you don't believe that. And so consequently, the church has undercut its own message because the only way for right action to <clears throat> be prevalent is for people to have the right kind of values. Yeah. And so let's, for example, let's, let's put it in today's um, issues of uh, voting rights. I, I'm for everybody having the, the right to vote, but not because I am an American but because my value system says that we are created equal and no one should stand above another because of race. So I, I support legislation that guarantees that, but I do it. Yes, it's, it's part of American democracy, but I also do it because my value system won't let me do anything else. When people pass laws, when politicians pass laws that they know, and I think they do know, discriminate or make it harder for people to vote, the question I have for them is, how can you look yourself in the mirror and say, this is what I value? Is it really that you, you don't have the, the value system that says, whatever your color of your skin, you are equal to me? that we are brothers and sisters, period, by the very nature of being human beings. So values Im impact us in practical ways, whatever we may believe. And I don't believe the same things I did when I was young. Thank goodness. We all can change. We can change. We can see things differently. But values endure. And the universal values that hold civilizations together, that hold the world together, have been doing for forever. And that's what we need to focus on. Dan, one of the th things you, you, you talk about in your book are the, the, the values and, and the beauty of, of your childhood. Uh, and, and, and then uh, basically how... Uh, that those values and how uh, they become even more informed and 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 moving you in the ways that uh, have have just uh, uh, shaped 
the, the trajectory of your life. Uh, but for, for some, uh, as you had talked about uh, growing up in, in, in uh, uh, Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, and uh, the, the, the church that you were part of, the family and so forth. Uh, but there are some people, uh, if you could help me with this, um, values are not the same thing as culture or at least if I'm saying that correctly, uh, where it seems that some people uh, would almost idolize culture to the point that they, can, they, they cannot ever get to the values yes. that, you're, that you've, you've talked about and that you share your book. Uh, and, and so therefore, it, it leads to this other part of, of, of the next question, which is that uh, I love your blog. And in, uh, there was one uh, writing that you shared in your blog when you, you used your voice to talk about uh, the incongruencies regarding what is an opinion versus what is truth. And can you say a little bit about that? I'm trying to lead us into that conversation, but I, I think that as I think about how you, you talked about the importance of understanding and distinguishing the importance, the difference between one's opinion and what is truth, but, but, but also how does culture uh, somehow affect people and their ability to, to make that distinction? Well, let's start with culture and then we'll get to opinions because that's where you started. Uh, culture shapes us in dramatic ways. And so it takes values that, uh, that can challenge that, those, that influence of culture to make us better people. I was raised and I, and I love that this is in Virginia because I'm a native Virginian. I love Virginia. And, and Virginia has had both the worst and the best in history. Mm -hmm. and, and I was raised as a white boy who was privileged by the fact that I was white. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But my culture gave it to me because of its misplaced values and its screwed up thinking. But the fact is that I was raised in a culture that I look back and wonder how in the world we ever did what we did, separate but equal, um, segregated schools, segregated water fountains, uh, segregated everything, and we just took it for granted. How could we have ever been so blind? Well, I think it's because the value system couldn't, wasn't as strong in the Christian tradition, and there were other religious traditions, but Christianity was the dominant one. The values were secondary to beliefs. And those beliefs among Christians that I grew up with who loved me and I loved them, and I think they were wonderful people, but they just did not allow 
facts and truth to penetrate those beliefs, which were really opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I used to, you, you, you can quote me, I think, from class. I used to say to y'all, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but there are a lot of stupid opinions, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, I do. I do. <laughs> so I probably uh, had some of those stupid opinions. <laughs> well, we all have. It, 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 you know, I was speaking out of personal experience when I said that. Uh, we all have. What saves us from those stupid opinions? Knowledge, education, yes. Yes. facts, science. And so opinions are not truth. But when we are in an age where people are truly advocating that truth is no longer all that important, then opinions become equal to truth. And when that happens, there's nowhere to go in the discussions. Because if you can't appeal to knowledge and facts, you can't appeal to experts who know things that we don't know, then where do you go? You're just in a, a morass of opinions, most of which are either uninformed or just plain stupid. And so um, people are not stupid. But opinions can be stupid, and opinions can be very dangerous. And if I believe that you, because you, your skin is black, or if you, you are inferior to me, if that's my opinion, my belief, then you better watch out for me. Because I'm not going to treat you in the way that you should be treated. So there are consequences to our beliefs and our opinions. And the only way to mitigate those consequences is to have values that tell us, wait a minute, this can't be right. This contradicts too much of what I, I have been, uh, I really deep down know to be true. Because I think most values are things we deep down know. And if we let our culture dominate us, or we let just opinions and beliefs dominate us, and we don't listen to people who have wisdom and truth to shape our values, then we are in deep trouble. And I think we are. I think at bottom, the conflict in the United States is not about political beliefs or opinions. It's a, it's a conflict of values. Yeah. I just don't, I'm not sure at all anymore that some people I know have the same value system that I have. And I don't know what we do about that, but I think that at bottom is where our conflict uh, comes from. Uh, Jen, Jen there, there's uh, a book that uh, uh, the, uh, a lot of the folks here at UCP uh, engaged in for uh, just spiritual um, reflection and, and, and guidance. It was uh, the one that was uh, written by How Howard Thurman, Jesus and the Disinherited. And uh, in, in, in that book, Howard Thurman, he, he, he speaks about uh, the, the, that sense of value the, the, that you were speaking of. He, he talked 
about the importance of understanding uh, who Jesus was and who the people are that Jesus uh, represented, that he spoke for on behalf of, that he was willing to die for. Um, he, he, Howard Thurman, who was uh, kind of this uh, 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 person that was of a, of a spirituality, um, of uh, this, this one who was inspirational in the way that uh, not only he lived, but the way that, that he, he taught and worked with um, his students. And so for, for me, he, he represented what was possible uh, for the church and, and the church in community. A part of what I'm thinking about as, a, as, a, as I want to form this question for you is where, where has the church, uh, where has this credibility eroded so that uh, there seems to be this chasm, this division uh, between um, this, this idea of the church that is to represent uh, what is the, 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 the sanctity of life and not this kind of incongruency about the, the issues that destroy or at least disempower people as far as poverty, racism, nationalism, militarism, and all those things that, um, that have been talked about that, uh, that, that move us, I think, towards the disintegration uh, of society. It's, it's easy to oversimplify, and so I may sound like I, I'm doing that, and I may, in fact, be doing it, but I, for me, it, it's rooted in the focus on salvation history um, and uh, what in German is called Hausgeschichte, uh, salvation story, mm -hmm. um, and getting people saved. Uh, allowed the church to focus on life after death and a, a, a um, virtuous life now, and so you can get to life after death, and in the process ignored the, uh, the things in this life that contradicted the very teachings of Jesus. So in my lifetime, but I think also in American history, for example, and in world history, but certainly in American history, American Christianity has been on the wrong side of almost every major social issue. Slavery, the church was on that wrong side of slavery. On segregation, the church was on the wrong side of segregation. On women, the church was on the wrong side of that issue. On gays and lesbians, the church has been on the wrong side of that issue. The church has represented the worst side of those issues because of its focus on right beliefs and, 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 uh, and, and purity 
uh, uh, sexual purity and whatever in order to get to heaven, in order to be accepted by God. Um, and I finally came to believe that I could, I, that kind of God, I could no longer believe in. And so I think that what happened to me was I realized that my parents, who were very loving parents, I was very fortunate, and they did not, they accepted the segregated culture, but I, I never heard any racial discussion in my home that was negative. They did not criticize Martin Luther King Jr. They did not call him a communist agitator as the Lynchburg paper did. Um, they never used the N-word. And, and, and my parents believed in working hard, but treating people right. We were poor. Uh, we, we were on the wrong side of the tracks as an, in a neighborhood. But I had a home with loving parents. And I thought, you know, God's got to be at least as good as my parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think my parents would reject me or my brothers. And I know they wouldn't because of something I did or didn't do or something I didn't believe. What kind of God would do that? And so the church has lost its credibility because it has stood on the wrong side of some of the most important critical issues of our day. There have always been voices within Christianity who have been on the right side, and especially in the Black community. I mean, it, after all, the Civil Rights Movement grew out of the Black church, and, and most of the leaders were Black uh, ministers. I don't think that's by accident. I think they got the message of Jesus and they knew that it was, those values were more important than what the white church was saying. Yeah. And so they, they called the church, the whole church to a better way of living, a, a way of life that exemplified the life of Jesus. But we're paying a price for being on the wrong side of those issues. Uh, and we're still on the wrong side of most some of those issues. And and at core, Marcus, uh, it, it sounds trite. It sounds like uh, you, quote, playing the race card. But the truth is, racism has been in the, in the life of the church almost from the beginning. We can't run away from that anymore. Well, Jan, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I've only recently started uh, reading uh, uh, Robert Jones's uh, book. You probably know it before I even begin to mention the title, uh, White Too Long. And, and, and that is where he begins uh, with, I think the first chapter in his book is uh, the kind of marriage between uh, the Southern Baptist Church and uh, the, the, the roots of racism. Uh, and basically, as he calls it, he, he calls it white supremacy. Uh, and and it, it was, again, that sense uh, of, of what was a part of the culture, but it did not have the resolve to seek out what were the essence, the values of Jesus and the gospel he preached. Well, all you have to do is ask 
why why does the Southern Baptist Church exist in the first place? It exists because they broke away from the Baptist Church over slavery. That's right. <laughs> I mean, exactly. you know, it's so obvious. Exactly. But, but the rest of us have don't have clean hands either. And um, what about the disciples, Jan? What I mean, that's I think that's the thing about UCP uh, because I was going to. I uh, just kind of, uh, of asked this of you as a part of, you know, of our finishing our time. Uh, but, but before we get there, um, what about the disciples? That's who we are, Jan. When we, we come in, I come to UCP as someone out of the tradition of the, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. What about us and what part in this have we played as far as what are those places where we've been guilty? And then what are the places where we, where we, where we have some hope? Well, we've been guilty, uh, like all other churches, in that it's been dominated by white males to begin with. That we did, uh, we have had women clergy almost from the beginning. Uh, Joy's great grandmother, Joy's grandmother, was an ordained disciples minister. And Joy is your wife. I don't know. Did yeah, we? Did yeah, we? <laughs> yeah, I that. And and so and her dad was a disciples minister too. But but um, but that's that's an important thing to, to, that we have had from the beginning uh, some right impulses anyway. But it's been a fight. It's been a struggle for women and for uh, African American leaders in our church. But disciples, because we have not been creedal, I think we have actually almost unconsciously focused on values and knew that values had to override whatever beliefs people had. And so that has helped us open the door a little bit faster than other denominations. I think we have had African-American and women leaders earlier than many denominations because of that. But I think both groups would say it's been a struggle. It still is a struggle. Uh, I saw it at the seminary. We said we had churches that would not call African-American students or women yeah. uh, as student pastors. Yeah. We have congregations that will not consider an African-American uh, today as equal candidate to any white candidate. They won't really look at them. Uh, few still do that with women, but most don't. But we still have a ways to go. Uh, but our general minister and president mm -hmm. is African-American. And that, yeah. I mean, yeah. that speaks, that symbolizes a lot. Yeah. Uh, but um, we, none of us has clean hands. And we have a ways to go because racism shows itself in all of us, you know, every once in a while, I'll think a thought and then say to myself, that's still old Lynchburg, Virginia thinking. You know, that's my culture, but it's not what I really value. It's not who I am, but, but I, it's in us and it's gonna be very hard to get it out of us. And we don't have to get it out of us. We just have to control it. We can't let it control us. Yeah, I think, Jan, that that part is, I think it can, it, it happens better in, in community with oh, each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think about Joe Barnt, who 
the disciples have worked with. And as a matter of fact, I had a conversation with them yesterday and, uh, and, 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 and Kate and I were actually exchanging text messages about him. Uh, I, I was telling Kate about his Afro that he wears. He, he, he's he's, he's white, old, 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 old and he's white, but he still has an Afro or looks like one. But, um, but Joe talked about uh, in his book, Becoming an Anti-Racist Church. And he, he talks about it in uh, the, the, the sense that um, being anti-racist and pro-cap reconciler. And he, he, he says that if, if you're a person of color, such as myself, if you look at me and you think that I'm a victim of racism, I'm not angry at you for thinking that way. But if the only thing that you see me as is a victim, then, then I am upset because yeah. I come from a history of resistance. I come from a, a, a history of, of, of survivors. But it's just as important to say for those of uh, those who are Eurocentric or, or, or white, if, if you look at Jan and, and you see uh, someone who's racist, uh, that Jan is not upset with you. But if you look at Jan and, and a racist is the only thing that you see, then you've not seen enough. You've not recognized that because Jan is also anti-racist. And, and a part of that, when I talk with uh, my brothers and sisters who are uh, Eurocentric or white, that I've heard some to say, well, uh, I don't want this power or this privilege that has been so much a part of who I am and who, I, who I've been. Um, but Joe Barnt talks about it's not about giving up power because in a sense, uh, how do you do that as someone who is white? But he talks about it in terms of that power can be shared. And that's what I've seen you be example of, Jan. From the moment that I came to the campus at LTS, having only been married to Tammy for maybe two weeks or so, and Eyes, you know, uh, as they say, you know, wide, wide, open, wide, and 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 knowing nothing, really, about um, where I wanted to be as a seminarian and where I wanted that experience to take me. But from the very moment that I get that I arrived and I sat in your office, Jan, uh, you made yourself available, but you also made the power of who I could be as a minister. And you, you, even though I was a student, you never made me feel less than, than who I was. Well, that means a lot to me that that's how you perceived me. Um, you kind of made my day with that, uh, Marcus, because you never know how pe people perceive you. Um, but I do, I do have values that have, are at the core of my being that would lead me to act that way. And at the same time, I have to fight against those things that are still a part of me that make me act in a different way. 
um, unjust way, uh, discriminating way, or mean way, or selfish way, or whatever. But uh, we all have to work together. And I, I just think that the key to that is a focus on values, knowing that we can have common values but different beliefs, and that that's that's the joy of being in community. And you said it, we need each other. We need to have these conversations. We need to have uh, to be every week, uh, every day, to be in a community that allows us to grow. You know, Jean Vanier, who founded the L'Arche Community said, true community is where people are always in the process of becoming more. I becoming, love it. Yeah. Becoming more. And that's, that's what being church is. If we allow that, we will make a, a positive contribution to the world. And, uh, and so that's the challenge before us. And I think having the right values can help us do that. Jan, thank you for just giving of yourself. Um, giving of your 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 time so that we could offer um, this conversation to the folks that will uh, would will just kind of join and give this podcast a listen um, it means everything to me but what folks uh, though we're going to be signing off here uh, I get the joy in knowing that next month uh, we get to have our Wednesday conversations again and exactly and right. so, uh, they have, uh, they mean a lot to me. And so, um, just blessings to you, to, to joy and your family. Um, and if there's anything, uh, that you just might want to share that, uh, perhaps you, you hadn't, uh, before we, we close our time together. Just to say that Marcus, you make my teaching career worth it all thank you thank you jan um that thank you i you know there is one other thing then jan and that is uh at some point maybe you and i can take uh a, a trip or to to taswell virginia together we should do that we should do that that's one more thing that you and I share together is Taswell. That's right. And uh, it seems like there was uh, uh, um, a, a rodeo that took place in the area this past weekend. And one of the champion, uh, 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 was it uh, riders, one of the bull riders is from Taswell. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small world it is but um the blessing is when we we have the big relationships in them yeah and i'm great i'm grateful for yours thanks jan thank you marcus okay talk to you soon okay <laughs>